Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, Make everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now, hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks, your, your herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Good evening, everybody. I'm Libby. If I don't know you, it's nice to see you. Uh, we're friends now, so we're going to get straight in there, and I'm going to bear my soul to you um, about this 
that is coming on the screen now, I hope, Alistair. Have you got the first image? Yes, it's there. It's not on my screen. I can't see it. Brilliant. That is my knee. Okay, I thought about just wearing a skirt and showing it you all, uh, but then I thought, oh no, because I wanted to wear this shirt. So, um, but that's my name. And I'm just going to tell you about that scar. We've all got scars, haven't you? I bet if I went around and said, show me your scar, I bet most of you would have a scar that you would show me. And this is a scar that I have on my knee. You can just see it, it's not a brilliant picture. Um, uh, but when I'm wearing a skirt, I'll show you if you want. Uh, we love sharing our scars, don't we? Uh, and this is one of my scars that people often ask me about because it is quite prominent on my knee. And so if you were to ask me about this particular scar, I'd tell you about the time when I was three. Uh, we lived in a cul-de-sac uh, in a, a, a really weird place. It's called Epworth, and it's like in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I was playing out with my friends in the cul-de-sac. I fell over. I cut my knee open and my mum, I ran into my mum, blood pouring down my leg, sorry if any of you are squeamish, and uh, my mum picked me up and I remember sitting on the edge of our sink in our little three-bedroom uh, semi-detached house, that's what you have in England, they don't have them up here, um, semi-detached house and my, my knee was really, the wound was huge and my mum going, oh we should probably take you to A&E and get it stitched. The problem was it was the 1970s. I know you're thinking I don't look that old, but I was. Um, it was the 1970s. And if you know anything about the 1970s, what you might know is that all the time there were strikes happening. Everybody striked about everything. And at that time, in our A&E, the doctors were on strike. And so my mum couldn't take me to A&E to get my knee stitched. And so she cleaned me up, stuck a plaster on it. And then literally for the rest of my life, every time my mum has seen my knee, she goes, oh, Libby, that scar. I wish I'd have taken you to another A&E somewhere and got it stitched because I had this huge scar. But it's a scar that tells a story. And often when people ask me about the scar on my knee, and I've told them the story that I've just told you, uh, they'll then go, oh, I've got a scar. And they start telling the story of their scar. We love to share our scar stories, don't we? Because they remind us of different events in our lives. And each scar that we carry is a reminder of something that has happened to us. And some of the things that are our scars aren't necessarily things that we want to remember either. Some of us might have internal scars, not just physical scars like uh, the one on my knee there, but perhaps scars left by words that have been spoken over us at some point in our lives or scars that are left by events that have happened in our lives and they've left a mark upon us. And some of, uh, some of the scars that we have in our lives that we carry around with us day in, day out, we know that we've never dealt with those scars. Some of the scars that we carry might be things that we've never forgiven other people for or have never forgiven ourselves for. We've never had closure 
those wounds that have never been properly treated and allowed to heal. And if we're honest, some of those internal wounds that we carry, those internal scars, are actually self-inflicted. Some of them might be physical scars. Some of them might be emotional or spiritual scars that we have. Some of the things, some of the scars might be uh, things that we have done to others that we have never asked for forgiveness for, that have never been reconciled, that have never been healed. Perhaps choices uh, that have left their mark and that we've never actually forgiven ourselves for. We all have scars. And some scars have healed a bit like my knee and are just good reminders to us. Don't climb that tree, you might fall out of it. That scar says. Some of the scars that we carry have made us who we are. Some of the scars that we have just niggle and hurt. I've got some scarring in my ankle and if I run a lot, that scar tissue starts to tighten and it niggles and it hurts. And our scars can and might affect us for the rest of our lives. Last week, Dave was speaking um, about the power of forgiveness, the power of forgiveness, forgiving other people, receiving the forgiveness uh, that Jesus has for us. And that is a massive topic. It was a brilliant sermon. Do listen to it online if you want to. But I wonder whether for some of us, forgiving others is okay, but forgiving ourselves, well, that's a completely different story to some of us here. Forgiving ourselves is the hardest thing. And not forgiving ourselves is like a buildup of bad scar tissue. It's often not visible to others, but it, it niggles sometimes. It might restrict us. It might restrict our freedom. It might prevent us at living in the fullness of life that Christ Jesus brought for each of us on the cross unforgiveness of ourselves. Over the past few weeks, we've been digging into this story of Joseph, as Dave said. Uh, we've got to chapter 45 and the last in our series. And, and it's been 22 years, not since we've been preaching this series, but it's been 22 years uh, since Joseph's brothers had sold him into slavery. Remember the whole Technicolor dream coat, malarkey, Jacob gives him the coat, uh, brothers strip it off him, throw him into wells, sell him off to Egypt, into slavery. So it's been 22 years for Joseph's brothers uh, to live with the lie that they told their father. It's been 22 years of them having to live with the guilt of seeing their father on a daily basis who believes that Joseph, his beloved son, was killed by some wild beast. It's been 22 years of pain and guilt that they've buried in their lives. They've just got on with it. But I wonder if for Joseph's brothers, those scars are there and they niggle and they know that they can't forgive themselves for what they did. They, they like live life on the surface 
but it's all about survival. It's all about the day-to-day. At this point in our story, actually, what the brothers want is to survive the the famine in their land. Uh, The reason they've gone to Egypt is to get food for their families. They want to survive. They want to get their brother back, but actually, a few chapters before, uh, Joseph, who they don't know is their brother at this moment, has, has kept almost like a ransom, as like a promise, as they go back to Cana and then go back to Egypt again. What they want is they want some food, and they want to get their brother back. They think they know what they really want, but actually, it's not what those brothers really need. They haven't got a clue at this point what they really need. And I wonder if we do this all the time. We think we know what we want. You know, we want relationships, we want good exam results, uh, we want happiness or money or an easy life or fun. And we go after those things that we want. But I wonder if sometimes then we miss out on what we really need. We bury our deepest needs. We ignore the things that actually are scars in our lives. We ignore the things that, if we paid attention to them, might change our lives. A couple of uh, weeks ago, uh, Finian, my youngest child, some of you know him, he's nine and he's very funny, and uh, he loves going to see uh, films. He's obsessed with films, especially Star Wars. You can talk to him about Star Wars if you're interested. I'm really not. Anyway, and um, we went to see the new version of The Lion King. Who's seen it? Anybody seen it? Yeah. Who's seen the old version of The Lion King, the Disney one? Most of us will be familiar with the story. I'm not going to tell you the end of the story just in case you're longing to go and you haven't seen it. Uh, But early on in the story, Simba... Uh, thinks he has killed his father. And uh, his wicked Uncle Scar, that was not a plan that I was going to talk about Scar when I was talking about Scars, but anyway, his wicked Uncle Scar persuades him that it was his fault that his father gets killed. And so he persuades him that the only option left open to him is for Simba to run away into the wilderness, which he does. And when he runs away, he meets these two completely weird characters. I don't even know what animals they are, but I think one might be like a wild boar or something. Uh, but there's Pumba and uh, Timon. I had to ask Finian what their names were because I couldn't remember. And, and they teach um, uh, Simba their philosophy for life. And you'll all know the song. I'm not going to sing it to you. Uh, Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful life. Um, <laughs> Yeah, okay, I've got it written down. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Yeah, okay. That's the only time you'll ever hear me nearly singing uh, on my own in church. But, But for a few years, Simba lives out this philosophy of life. Hakuna Matata. You know, it's a problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. But ultimately, this fun life that he is living in this lovely, idyllic place isn't what he really needs. Uh, Because underneath this carefree life he's living with these weird creatures is this deep pain. Are these deep scars for him that have never been healed? This this belief that he had killed his father, this guilt that he's carrying. Uh, And there are these deep scars that are holding him back from living out his real identity, which is as child of the king, 
I'm not going to tell you the rest of the story in case you haven't seen the film. But he has to realize that actually he thought he knew what he wanted, but it wasn't what he needed. And eventually we see him step into his destiny. Joseph's brothers then come to him and they think that they know what they need. They think they need food. They think they need uh, their brother back who Joseph is holding. But it isn't what they really need. What they need is total forgiveness. Total forgiveness that Joseph has for them. And then they need to accept that forgiveness and also forgive themselves. And so suddenly, in this scene that Rosemary read for us, uh, the curtains are drawn back uh, on the reality of Joseph's brother's situation. And Joseph, we, we heard, cannot contain himself any longer. And he blurts out to his brothers in this sort of wave of emotion, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? Because that's what the biggest thing is on his heart. Joseph doesn't want to threaten his brothers. He isn't in it in this moment to remind them of all the past hurt that they've caused him, the pain and the separation, the years of separation that he's had from his family. He has completely forgiven them already. And he's just desperate to know, is my father still alive? But the brothers... They can't answer because they're not in the same place that Joseph's at uh, because they are just completely gobsmacked in this moment. Uh, They're completely traumatized. They're terrified. They have no idea uh, where Joseph is in all this. They don't know whether in a moment he's about to throw them into jail and get them strung up. They have no idea where his heart is at. It's like their paths have come to haunt them. Here is their brother, whom to all intents and purposes is back from the dead. And here he is, and he's the most powerful man in Egypt. And there stood there, just completely at his mercy. Their lives are in his hands. And then we read that Joseph sees their fear, and he asks them to come closer. He says, come closer to me. I know when um, my children, if they're fearful or anxious, not one of them because he's like this big, uh, but some of the smaller ones, the smaller ones, if they're fearful or anxious about something, what I do is I tend to get onto their level and I'll say, come here, and I look them in the eye. Because children have this way of knowing if their parents are also a little bit fearful and anxious about something. And so if they're fearful and anxious about something that they don't need to be fearful or anxious about, I'll say, come here, and I'll look them right in the eye, and I'll say, it's okay, you don't need to be afraid, you don't need to worry, because I want them to see in my eyes that there's no fear, there's nothing to be scared or anxious about. And so Joseph calls his brothers and he says, come close. He wants them to see in his face as well as to hear through his words that he has forgiven them. And he pulls them close and he looks at them and he says, I am your brother. Don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me into slavery. That was part of God's plan. 
Do not be angry. Do not be angry with yourselves. That was part of your God's plan. And so through his words, through his actions, Joseph is offering his brothers total forgiveness. And it's completely mind-blowing, isn't it? Total forgiveness means uh, freedom from all those years of guilt that they'll have been carrying. Total forgiveness means I'm not going to remind you every day about what you did to me. Total forgiveness means what you did to me. I can see that God was in it anyway. God wanted me here for this time. You do not need to be distressed. You do not need to beat yourself up over this. He's saying, accept my forgiveness. Live in it. But more than that, don't be angry with yourselves. Forgive yourselves. It's a powerful emotional scene that we have here. And we might be here tonight, sat here, living life, thinking, you know, I know what I want, or I know what I need. But maybe for some of us, there are some deep scars. So maybe God is saying to you tonight, there is so much more. Come close. See and hear that I forgive you. Now you need to step into that freedom that I've bought for you. And actually, not forgiving yourself is not part of that freedom, as it wasn't for Joseph's brothers either. God knows what we really need. He knows that we need to know his forgiveness and be able to forgive ourselves too. He knows what we need. And what he offers us is far more than we can ask or imagine. He gives you his unconditional love. Just think about that for a moment. He gives you his unconditional love. He gives you his forgiveness. He gives each of us the offer of new life in Christ with him. And we can say to him, yes, that is what we want. But lots of us still struggle, don't we? We still struggle to love and forgive ourselves. We struggle uh, to be free from guilt. We build up this scar tissue uh, with, from past hurts, things that we've said and done. But actually, if we do that, we're not living in the freedom that Christ Jesus has bought for us. Lots of us have questions and issues that pop up all the time for us. Stuff like, how can God really forgive me? I'm just not worthy to receive his forgiveness. Or I can believe that, that God can forgive me, but I cannot forgive myself. So we're just going to spend a couple of moments just looking at some of those issues that might be going around each of our minds right now. First one, am I really forgiven? Has God really forgiven me? I can believe that God's forgiven that person that sat along my row or uh, Mark Cameron because he stands here and sings and plays. I can believe that God forgives them, but I can't believe that God has forgiven me. And this is a question that we face, lots of us face at some time or other. You know, the, the effects of past mistakes, past choices pop up every so often and they bite us. And we ask ourselves, well, does that mean that God hasn't forgiven me because I still remember it or I still, it still has an effect on my life? And some of us are sat here now thinking of that thing, that hurt that you caused, or that choice that you made 
maybe once, maybe twice, maybe three times. That thing that you know you have confessed to God, but it's still bothering you. And you need to hear these words, these words from the Bible. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he is just, and he will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And then what we need to do is we need to take a step and not just go, yeah, that's brilliant, but actually step into it and believe it, uh, that we are forgiven and step into the new life uh, that that brings. In the Bible, I love the, the story of the woman who is caught in adultery and is brought before Jesus. And she's dragged before this crowd that are literally baying for her blood. And Jesus, in that moment, says to her, I don't condemn you. Now go, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. I've forgiven you. Believe it. But now go and live your life for me. Jesus forgives her and then says, step into your new life with me. I wonder if we dare to believe these words of Jesus. Your sins are forgiven. And the psalmist puts it like this. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. There is power, there is freedom in forgiveness. We need to believe it and need to live it. And some of us might be sat there thinking, well, I just don't believe that I'm worthy of that forgiveness. I get it, but I am not worthy. Don't you know? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know the stuff I've done? Uh, I'm too broken. I'm too bad. Uh, if only you knew. I've just got too many scars for God to forgive me. If only you knew. The devil is very real and is sometimes called the father of lies. He's the accuser. And he loves it when we believe that we are not worthy of being forgiven. He loves it. He loves to remind us of all the times that we've messed up. He loves to accuse us and plant seeds of doubt within us. You know, he hasn't really forgiven you. You're not worthy of forgiveness. Other people might be, but you really aren't because I know and you know what you've done. God loves you. Jesus died for you, for your freedom, for your life. He has made you worthy. You are worthy of being forgiven. And this next one is a big one for some of us. I know God. I know that you've forgiven me, but I cannot forgive myself. This is the one that Joseph was trying to tackle with his brothers when he says, do not be angry with, with yourselves. He doesn't want them to live burdened by what they've done to him. He wants them to be free. If God has forgiven us, we can forgive ourselves. And if we don't, it's like we're just continuing to punish ourselves. We're almost saying to God, well, I don't really believe that you've forgiven me. We draw these feelings of forgiveness, unforgiveness around ourselves like a blanket. And they become comforting in a familiar way. Um, but they can sometimes be overwhelming to us. But when Jesus died on the cross, 
He took that blanket of guilt and that blanket of shame and he tore it up once and for all. He never intended us to keep hold of our guilt. If God has forgiven us to the point where Hebrews 8 says, God will remember our sins no more. If God forgives us like this, we have to forgive ourselves and let go of these feelings of guilt and unforgiveness. When I was in my mid-teens to early 20s, I looked very much like a confident Christian independent woman. And in many, I was, and I really was. But inside, I was struggling with all sorts of things um, and lots of issues around food and how I looked. And I went through a time of really hating myself around the age of 20. Um, And I said things about myself and I wrote things about myself that I just look back at now and it's really embarrassing. I'm really embarrassed about it. But I went through a process uh, where I realized, I had to realize how much Jesus loved me. I had to realize how much Jesus had forgiven me. And I realized that while I was still a sinner, Christ Jesus died for me. I didn't have to be perfect. I didn't have to be the finished article. I didn't have to have it all sorted. I didn't have to be a perfect size 10 with no spots. Jesus still died for me. And I realized at that time the significance of Jesus' words on the cross. It is finished. I've done it. It's complete. There's nothing else that you need to do. But forgiving myself was quite a step. I was so embarrassed by what I'd done and the things that I'd done and thought and said and the way I'd treated myself for the things that I believed about myself. And so it was though through a gradual process of forgiving myself that I began to realize the liberation and the freedom that Jesus' forgiveness of me had brought. And I began to take off the old clothes of unforgiveness and of bitterness and of self-hatred and of guilt. And I began to put on new clothes that Paul describes in Colossians of compassion and kindness, and patience, not just towards other people, but also towards myself. In the kingdom of God, we break up the rules of unforgiveness, and bitterness, and self-hatred, because actually Jesus' grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness, he says. Joseph brothers then had to face their past in order to fully experience the love and the grace and the forgiveness that Joseph was offering them. And some of us need that too. We need to deal with our past. We need to face the scars that we're all carrying in order to fully accept that we are forgiven in order to fully forgive ourselves too, in order to fully experience the grace and the love and the forgiveness that Jesus has brought for each of us on his cross. And we need to start tonight. This isn't something that we can go, 
I'll deal with that in a year's time. Or when I finish my time at university, then I'm going to sort out this area of my life. Or maybe, uh, you know, when I've sorted this and this and this, then I'll look at this issue for us. This is something that we need to deal with now for some of us. And what it might look like for different people might be different. So it might be for you that you need to go home and on your own in your room, you might need to write yourself a letter reminding yourself that because Jesus died on the cross, because he has forgiven you, that you can forgive yourself and you need to write that forgiveness down. For some of us, it might be that in a moment when we're singing, uh, you come forward for prayer and you actually ask somebody to stand with you and to pray into some of those feelings that you have. I long for every single person here to be living in the freedom that Christ Jesus has brought for us. Not just to be people who offer forgiveness, but know forgiveness deeply in our own lives as well. And for some of us, that means we need to learn to forgive ourselves. And so let's just give Jesus the space now. Dave's going to come up and lead us. And it'd be just good to take a moment to just let Jesus speak to your heart. And for some of us, it might be a massively courageous step tonight to actually tackle these issues and deal with them. Dave.